Hello. Thanks for listening to our Fusion Sermon Podcast. Fusion is a worshiping community within Hardawike Ministries. We gather at 1030 a.m. in the Red Brick Church Building on the Hardawike campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Fusion community and Hardawike Ministries, please visit hardawike.com. Morning, I'm going to be preaching. If you've been reading along in the Believe tech, uh, book, we're finishing up a 10-week sermon series focused on how to think gospel ideas that shape our life. So I've taken one of those passages. It's from 2 Peter. And so just to set the context with this, 2 Peter, it was written by the Apostle Peter in the years 64 to 67 AD. It's kind of hard to tell. But it would have been just before he was martyred by the Roman Emperor Nero. It was around 35 years after the ministry of Jesus itself. So he, he's writing about 35 years after Jesus um, and his ministry. Peter, the author that we'll read, was an eyewitness to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Those are the words we'll hear. I'm particularly fascinated, Second Peter, we have a, a a complete manuscript of this from about the third century. It's called P72. It was discovered, the earliest one, in 1952 and donated to the Vatican in 1969. So you and I get to read Peter from earlier texts than people who went before us in the 19th and 18th century. It's an amazing opportunity. So, so hear the words of an eyewitness. I'm going to ask you out of appreciation and reverence if you'd stand with me if you're able, and I'll ask the folks to kind of uh, press forward as I read. Peter writes this. Eh, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a millennium, and a millennium is like a day. Remember that next time you read Revelation 20. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, it will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it, it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? How shall we then live? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, he writes to us, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat and let's pray for this moment. Father, we thank you for your grace that your in. Your eternity has entered into our limited, uh, imminent setting that you have spoken into our lives. And so, centuries ago, you took this eyewitness, a fisherman named Peter, 
as he had walked with Jesus, heard and observed, saw the tomb filled one day and empty the next, as he began to live out the fullness of your grace in his time and moment. So you superintended the words that he wrote and in an amazing way, you've, you've preserved them like no other ancient text we've ever seen. So that now by your grace, we can uh, unroll the scroll as it were, translate, study, read, meditate. So we ask Holy Spirit that now you take the next step with us in this process, illumine our hearts and minds to receive all that you have for your people. Guard them from my own brokenness and confusion, but in your mercy and glory and grace, we ask that you make uh, apparent and clear the love of Jesus. Bring us to the table this day in deep and powerful ways. For we make our prayer in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Well, it's been a series kind of focused on thinking, you know, ideas have consequences. If you think this is true, you're going to live it out in a particular way. So I want to ask, how, do, how are we to conceive, how do you conceive of the life and circumstances around you? You know, the day-to-day -day life. How do you make sense of all this? Now, I've been in moments where that was like really easy. We used to live in Asheville, North Carolina, just off the Blue Ridge Parkway. And to get to work, I had to commute on the Blue Ridge Parkway. You'd look at the beauty of that place and you'd say, oh yeah, this is a good earth. I can make sense of life. Then there's times like this past week where everything changes, everything's crazy. How do you make sense of the pain and this whole process with the surgery? Even tougher, it's almost inconceivable to imagine waking up in Kiev, Ukraine, or, or being in Gaza City, or an American urban neighborhood. Sometimes you look at the world and how do you make sense of this? Well, here's a picture I want to give you this morning about how I believe the scripture calls us to conceive the world and how to go about living it. We live inside parentheses. Now, if you made it through middle school English, I was in the weight room during this class, but I've gone back to, to learn. You know the definition of parentheses, it's an explanation or an afterthought, something that's inserted into a, a larger passage, a sentence or a paragraph. It, and it's, the paragraph is complete without it, but somehow that insertion just makes it a little bit clearer. Here's an example. Here's the sentence. Jesus said that even the jot and tittle would be fulfilled. Well, you clarify it a little with this insert, the smallest markings in Hebrew writing. Both the Hebrew writing makes sense, part of it, and both the sentence. But together, they make something more. I want to tell you, you and I are neighbors, our family, people across the globe. We live lives inside parentheses. We live here day to day, but there is an eternity that surrounds us, that's bigger, that makes sense of the parentheses and the parentheses that we live in kind of help us understand that on the outside. We live lives that, yeah, they kind of make sense when I'm on the Blue Ridge Parkway, but not when I'm wondering about how do I get my wife this surgery. It kind of makes sense there, but we live here in light of something bigger. Let me give you what I'm gonna call a visual. I'll take two words. Picnic and lightning. What comes to mind with picnic? That was one of the first dates I had with my wife. 
was a picnic. Enlightening. I love to go to the ocean and look at the lightning and watch that off there. Picnic and lightning. That makes sense and it brings something to mind for me. But let's surround it with this sentence. My very photogenic mother died in a freak accident, picnic, lightning, when I was three. Suddenly, what was inside those parentheses takes on a whole new light, doesn't it? There's a sense of tragedy and loss and inconceivable, speechless sort of thing. Yes, picnic and lightning make sense, but in light of what's outside the parentheses, suddenly... It's different, and and suddenly the picnic and lightning makes sense of something else. Now, just to be honest, because it's critical, friends, that we be honest. This is a quote from a a book, Lolita, by the Russian author Vladimir Nabokov. I've never read it. I just typed in best use of parentheses in Western literature and searched on Google, and that's what it came up with. But that's pretty good. You see what a parentheses is like. Our life is simply a statement that makes sense, but it's in parentheses. There's something bigger. That's the eternity. So how then do we live? Well, the first thing I want to say very clearly is it means if our life is lived in parentheses, that our comprehension, three things I want to say about this. First of all, our comprehension is limited. That is to say, I can't know everything in the novel just by looking inside the parentheses. Does that make sense? I I can understand this that's in the parentheses, but there's more out there. I'm limited in figuring all that out until I've been through the whole thing. The other thing is that my comprehension of the life that I'm living is contingent. That means I can't understand my life unless I've got some sense of what's out there Understanding this inside the parentheses, the picnic and the lightning, is contingent upon what's outside. That means I've got to find meaning from something other than itself. This is why I'm afraid we're living in a moment of cultural suicide. The prevailing thought you'd call expressive individualism. I determine my own truth. Have you heard that expression? Well, my truth is... I'm thinking, wait a minute, there is truth and there is your experience and there is my experience. And between the two of us, we can kind of maybe get a little closer. But if I only look to my own heart for my identity, for truth, for what I will stand for, I'm only looking inside the parentheses and I'll miss a bigger picture. My life is contingent on something outside of it. Finally, I would say that we're also to be a people who recognize our comprehension is dependent. We will need another story to make sense of our own. You cannot live into the fullness of all that was intended for you just defining yourself on your own terms from your own resources. There's more going on here than just me. That's why we're here together. That's why we've gathered in light of the gospel of God's grace. We're dependent on something greater than ourselves in order to understand ourselves, to make sense of the circumstance in which we live, to be fully human in our true and real existence. We need to have the perspective of eternity. 
I'm going to call this perspective of eternity. I'm going to call it information from the infinite. We usually kind of live in what's called the imminent frame, cause and effect, these sorts of things. I can explain it, whatever happens. The gospel presents us with a view of the world that says, oh, there's more than just this. There's transcendence. There's something greater. I may not understand it all the time. I may get it wrong, but it's there. My goofiness doesn't change transcendence. Aren't you thankful? I'm free to repent because transcendence, that is the infinite, that is the living God, exists apart from me, but he'll speak to me. He is the sentence. That great work in the great kingdom of our God is the sentence that makes sense to the life we live in the parentheses. And it confronts us with the reality. If what I've said is true, and I'm staking my life on it, it means that we need to be honest about what we do know from Scripture as well as what is not clear and certain in Scripture. We need to be ready to to look at how God has promised to speak to us in, in the Scripture and there'll be some things that are very clear there and some things that are, well, they're not so clear. I'm a, actually a Presbyterian minister. I, they call me on loan to the CRC, which I just love that uh, church language. So I'm on loan with y'all. And from my Scottish family, us Presbyterians, in our Westminster Confession, we'll talk about how it's actually stated in the Confession that not every passage is clear. But the way to understand what's not clear is by going from what's clear to what is. Do you see how that? What you need to know to understand the message of the Bible is what's clear and what's not. It was John Calvin who said, we ought to be silent where the Holy Spirit is silent. How's that, a silent preacher? You see, we've got to be honest about what we do know from the Scripture, and we know some things, and we need to give our life to that. But we need to be just as clear about what's not clear and certain. And so as we go in and think about eternity, I want to warn you about filling in the gaps. You know, you can go to YouTube this afternoon and you can find somebody who'll fill in the gaps on eternity. Prophetic timetable, A, B, C, D. It's out there. But I want to suggest to you that the scripture treats eternity with much more humility, with a much deeper sense of stand with what I'll tell you, hold lightly with what's not so clear. So as we think about eternity and we think about what the Bible teaches us, I want to give you this picture about a stone that's sure and real. You could take that stone and see how real it is, but you drop it in a pond and you'll see ripples. The first ripples are pretty strong and as it goes further out, less and less strong. I wanna tell you when we think about eternity, what we know is like that stone, it's the splash and there are things we know about life after death, life to come, judgment, all of those things that are beyond us that reflect God's infinity, the eternity of which we are a part. There is the stone in things we know. Here's something we know and we'll stake our life on, who Jesus is. See, the scripture is clear. Jesus, this man who left footprints by the Sea of Galilee many centuries ago, is the intersection of full divinity and full humanity. How does that work? I don't know. 
It just is. The people who knew him, the eyewitnesses said, whoa, this is human but more. We know who Jesus is. I tell celebration all the time. The entire Old Testament, according to Jesus, is about who Jesus is. Oh, but I thought it was filled with law that taught me what I should do in order to be loved by God. No. If you're reading the law, if you're reading the Old Testament, you should come away convicted of your sin, utterly dependent on a Savior named Jesus. That's what the law teaches me that I cannot live up to that. Jesus says in Luke 24, he's on to his two friends on the road to Emmaus, Jesus says, the law of the prophets is about me. The whole Old Testament is to give us clarity into the gospel and the person of Jesus. It's a different way of reading. You read like a Pharisee or you read in light of the gospel. So we know who Jesus is. I'm staking my life on it. That's the splash. We know about his death and resurrection. It happened. We have reliable eyewitnesses. You know, each of the four Gospels tells a little bit of the full story about the Roman soldiers who stood at the doorway of this tomb, saw the body go in, stood guard. Something happened and it was empty. Roman soldiers understand death. And so when they saw what had been dead move, We have reliable eyewitnesses. Paul will write about it in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. We can't do this, but it's like Paul is saying, go talk with one of them. Check it out. Friends, I want to tell you, if this is the stone of reality into the pond of our life, if this is the sentence that gives sense to the parentheses in which we're living, you need to figure out, is this reliable? Is this trustworthy? Could I really stake my life on this? The other thing we know is the meaning of Jesus' death. The death of Jesus is not simply the execution of a great moral teacher, some kind of Socrates in Judea event. No, this is the Lamb of God. In a moment, we'll have communion. Communion points past itself to something else, to the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. We know what it means. Paul writes in Romans 3.26 that God himself is both just and the justifier. The cost of our sin is part of the justice of God. What was a surprise in the gospel was that God himself would take the just cost of that sin upon himself. That's good news. There's the splash. Stick with it. These first ripples that come out, they're also fairly clear. We know from the scripture that he will return. It was his promise. It was the belief of the church. For centuries now, we believed that I believe he will come again to judge both the quick and the dead, the Apostles' Creed from the very beginning. Jesus himself states in John 14, 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. We read it in 2 Peter here. The day of the Lord, it will come. And one of the things we know is that when that happens, the old order of things will pass away and the new order of things will come to place. We read about that in 2 Peter 3.13. According to his promise, we're waiting for a new heaven and a new earth. 
Revelation 20, one of the great promises, I'm sorry, 21, verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Christians right now are in prison in China because of their belief that there's coming a new heaven and a new earth and it's not coming from the government. They are there in that faith. So there's a stone and there are clear ripples that the church has believed for centuries and across cultures. He will come and justice will reign. But there's some things further out that are less clear. And let me suggest to you, friends, that we need to let the less clear be not central to our message and indeed to be less clear. People often ask me, what happens to the me at death? Well, it's hard to know. And you start to look at the scripture. There's this Sheol in the Old Testament. It looks like waiting for the payment. Okay, maybe it's fuzzy. How about if we just agree to say any God who would give his life to rescue me from sin, he can take care of it. Let the fuzzy be fuzzy. Let the clear be clear. The other question we get all the time is, well, when will this happen? Second Peter says, he will come like a thief in the night. We won't know. Jesus would say in Acts 1, 7 through 8, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. So let me suggest to you that any time that somebody's given you times and dates, who are you going to believe? Jesus or the, that five DVD set. <laughs> Think about it. Who are you going to believe? Jesus said, it is not for you to know the times. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony, pantata ethne is the Greek, to all the nations, to every ethnic group, and then the end will come. So I don't know the dates and times, but I know the mission that gets us there. That's why Peter said, did you hear him say, hurrying along, bringing about, getting to, you anxious to see the return of Christ, become a missionary, bring the gospel where it's never been. When does all this happen? Not so sure. In the meantime, I'm committed to his mission. How shall we then live? What does it mean to live? Well, take what is true and solid. We can trust God. He's called us to a mission. His Holy Spirit will empower and guide us and lead us. He's spoken to us in the scripture. We've unpacked this week by week by week. How shall we then live? If I only have three things to build into your life, the first would be this. Dive into the scripture. Love it. Learn it. Let the scripture be the sentence around the parentheses of our life. That as I read the story of God's redemption, of his grace, of his love, of his purity, I begin to understand myself differently and I order my life in different ways. Pray. You know, prayer, I, <clears throat> I appreciate, you know, every now and then I'll read one of these things in the, the, the newspaper about a recent social study says that people who pray have lower blood pressure. And I'm thinking, you know, that's pretty good. I could get off my meds here maybe. <sighs> 
But that's explaining prayer as if it were just a cause and effect medical thing. I want to tell you, the vision of the gospel is that we live here, but there's a God transcendent, infinite, who will communicate with us. That transcendence intersects with with imminence, that God speaks to his people. Do you remember Jesus would speak to, um, in the upper room, he said, my sheep will hear my principles and live with all energy to behave in line with my principles. Jesus didn't say that. You should be throwing things at me, friends. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. He wants a relationship with you. That's why Jesus died, was to make that relationship possible. This is a God who is one God, three persons, has relationship with himself, so he wants relationship with us. Prayer is about conversation with infinity. How does that happen, Pastor Bill? I don't know. I've been asking God every day for the past 50 years. He just talks. I go to his word. How about the sacraments? I'm thankful for the Lord's Supper here. Transcendence will intersect with our imminence. Imagine. Imagine. During the Reformation, there's a lot of argument and battle and about just how Jesus was present. And different folks have different ways. I want to tell you, one of the reasons I'm reformed in theology and here as a pastor is because our belief as a community has been that Jesus is here in the reality of the Holy Spirit. It's not about what I can do with the bread or the cup. It's not about who I am as a person. Bless the Lord for that. But it's about the promise of God and his word and the presence of the Holy Spirit. In a moment, I've been praying this week that some of you will have a deep sense of conviction about sin that Jesus wants to set you free from. Others will have a sense of God is calling me into this next step. Some of you will be called to radical things like forgiving someone who's really wounded you. I don't know what it will be, but because Jesus will be here, because what's infinite and eternal will suddenly be in our midst by his promise. Can you imagine what that means? We've been working these past weeks on 10 formative ideas that grow out of the gospel of God's grace. God, one God, three persons, making himself known by the spirit, speaking in the words of scripture. The gospel here, like spokes coming from that hub that build a full life. Friends, I wanna tell you something in closing that ideas have consequences, that we need to build our lives on the truth of the gospel. And that means we live in a parenthesis. We are the simple and the present in light of God's eternity. Now, one of the concepts we looked at was this realization that every person you will ever meet is an image bearer of the great king. You will never meet a junkie or a terrorist or a whatever who doesn't bear the mark of God. They're image bearers. That's the promise of scripture. Every person you ever meet has a measure of value because of that image. Now, the other part of that image is that it's been broken by sin. It may be pride. It may be trust in self. It may be any number of things, but an image bearer who's broken. The good news of the gospel is that the infinite God has called us from broken image bearers to become deeply loved, fully adopted children of the great creator king. That's the call of the gospel, friends. 
And these ideas, the scripture, the triune God, the image of God, shape what we do and how we love. Every person you ever meet will bear the image of God and have value. They'll bear the impact of sin and they'll have need for a redeemer. You know, one of the saddest stories for me as an American has been the relationship of the European settlers in the United States with the Native American uh, tribes. For a season in my life, I was teaching at Montreat College and would often go to the Cherokee Reservation and teach classes there with those folks. I got to know their story, know their lives. And what a heartbreak. Now, it's real common right now for everyone to say, oh, the Europeans came, they were oppressive abusers, awful people, and to go through that whole guilt thing. But I want to tell you, we need to own what was sin, but we ought to recognize that occasionally things worked well. And we ought to ask, what's the difference? What's the difference? Can you find a time in American history where the Native Americans and the Europeans, something good happened? And why? You know my answer to that? We're going to celebrate it Thursday. When the pilgrims came from England to Plymouth and landed here, for the first number of years, it was a marvelous, thriving relationship between the pilgrims and the Native Americans. Let me read to you. This is a book called Mort's Relation. It's written by an eyewitness, Edward Winslow. And he talks about the first Thanksgiving. So Thursday, listen to this. Oops, let's get over the right page. Their greatest king, Massasoit, with some 90 men whom for three days we entertained and feasted, and they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. It begins, our harvest being gotten in. There they were, Plymouth Plantation. Thankful, 90 special forces troops show up armed. What do they do? For four days, they entertained them. Hospitality, the gift of hospitality. You only do that with a relationship that works. Listen to how he describes a few paragraphs over about what it was like living with Massasoit and his people. So that there is now great peace amongst the Indians themselves, which was not formerly the case. Neither would have been but for us. And we, for our parts, walk as peaceably and safely in the wood as in the highways of England. I want to tell you, it looks like it worked there for a little while. What made the difference? And here's my proposal. The pilgrims were different than the Puritans. The pilgrims had been persecuted. They were not accustomed to the power of the world. They saw in Massasoit and Squanto, they saw the image-bearing people of God. The Puritans would come, accustomed to power and Oxford educations, able to mix in the politics of the world and run things. I want to suggest to you, these ideas in the gospel have dramatic effect. Imagine if instead of, someone told me one time, 700 broken treaties, if instead of 700 broken treaties, we had 
700 expressions of commitment and love. Oh, okay, how about if we just go with 500? We're not perfect. But could it be that if the ideas of the gospel were to shape our life, our world would be different? And here's why. Ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have bad consequences. True ideas have powerful consequences. Because the image of God, because the triune God, because God's message in the scripture are true and real, they can shape our lives and make a difference. Friends, I want to tell you, I believe, I get up every morning believing that the hope of the world around me is what Jesus did on the cross. That to communicate that and for people to see that, that that would begin to erode the violence, the brokenness, the the heartache that we see. I've got to be honest about what I know and what I don't know. And what I know is that when I see every person as a deeply loved image bearer that's been broken by sin, but whom God came to rescue, those ideas have consequences and they'll make a difference in your life and in mine. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus and that even in the midst of a broken world, you have entered in to speak to us in the scripture by the power of your Holy Spirit, to make something of yourself known to us in truth, to speak to us about being deeply loved and seeing other people as marvelous image bearers. So transform us with the truth of the gospel that our hearts might be shaped and bear fruit to your glory and to the benefit of our neighbors and ourselves as well. Father, thank you that you give us resources beyond ourselves, And in this moment as uh, we come to the table, that there's a moment where transcendence intersects the imminent, where we will encounter something of the whole sentence around the small parentheses of our life. Guide us and lead us and give us the fullness of your hope and grace. For we pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people sit together. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our Fusion community or how to support Hardawake Ministries, please visit us at hardawake.com.